Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is another glorious day to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a joy to be here in the house of the Lord. I'm glad you're here, but I am more glad that our God is in the house today. We are looking forward to the soon return of our Lord and Savior. And until then, we are here together to love one another and love God. You know, someone said recently, they said, I tell you what, that location, that building, the friendly people, uh, you know what, that's a pretty good time. Great place, great people, and God, what could you ask for any more than that? And so, thank you for being here this morning. And for those of you that are part of our online family, growing online family, some around the world, actually. We love you. We welcome you here as part of our streaming. And if you're watching at delayed, we love you too. We hope to see you soon. This morning we're going to begin or continue, I should say, another segment of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever. This morning's installment is entitled, Prayer and Fasting is Giving up to get in. That's a, a great topic that Jesus is going to refer to is the topic of fasting. Now, my beloved people, we need to remind ourselves that prayer can do anything that God can do. And God can do anything. Do you believe that this morning? God can do anything tell you this morning, if God can do anything, then anything that prayer gets is what God does in our life. It is from Him. In prayer and fasting, it is not arithmetic that counts. That is, it's not how many days or hours there are. In prayer and fasting, it's not rhetoric that counts. How eloquent it might be. In prayer and fasting, it is not logic that counts how persuasive we can be, maybe before God. Now, our effectiveness in prayer and fasting boils down to two things, faith and fervency. Faith and fervency are intrinsically bound with prayer and fasting. Fasting grows our faith and deepens our fervency. Fasting connects us with God in a way nothing else can. That's why, to me, the topic selection that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think if I had thought of a sermon, a single sermon to preach, I don't think I would have included some of the things he did. But he decided that it was vital for those people and for the generations to come, you need to have some concept of what it means to fast, because fasting is absolutely crucial to our Christian life and really collectively to the kingdom of God. What is fasting? Fasting is going without food or drink or sleep or certain pleasures for the express purpose of seeking God. That's about as simple as it could be explained. Fasting is not dieting. Now, some people do fast for dieting and health reasons. Certainly, nothing wrong with that, and some of us, I'm sure, would be wise to do that. Someone said, we live on half of what we eat, and the doctor lives on the other half. <laughs> but just going without food is not what we're talking about. We are talking about bringing our hearts, our lives, into such a burning, laser-like focus that we set aside food or certain pleasures or sleep so that we can seek God. Prayer and fasting is giving up so that we can get in. Ah, those church bulletin announcement things can go sideways in a heartbeat. Those that have ever been involved in church very much or certainly in the church office, you know that 
space in a bulletin is always at a premium. But we found out over the years that trying to save room by the use of abbreviations that doesn't always turn out like you want it to. In the early days of our ministry, for example, I remember one of our bulletins, it read something like this. The ladies' Bible study will be held Thursday morning at 10. All ladies are invited to lunch in the fellowship hall after the BS is done. <laughs> you got to be careful about those church books. This is one I did read about, not our church, but an unnamed church, communication, expressly concerning the subject today, fasting. Here was the announcement, National Prayer and Fasting Conference announcement. The cost to attend the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. <laughs> well, it can get a little confusing sometimes in church, but I hope you'll not be confused this morning about this very important topic. Stop for a word of prayer. Pray with us, would you? There at home, just bow your head. Let's collect our hearts together. Father, we thank you this morning for the great truth of prayer and fasting. Lord, I'm so excited. Just almost feel like a, a giddy teenager, Lord, at the thought of what could happen if our church would get a hold of this truth. Lord, things would happen. Things would open up as we never imagined. Marriages would be mended, children would be brought back to the Lord, and souls would be saved. Lord, I pray, oh God, give us as a church not only an understanding of it, but a a new desire to make it happen in our lives. The Sermon on the Mount. Iconic Indian lawyer and independent leader Mahatma Gandhi said the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest and highest form of religion ever. Sermon on the Mount is actually a real sermon. Historically, scholars say that it was presented shortly after Jesus had chosen his twelve disciples. Chronologically, it probably was in the spring of 31 AD as we look back in the Julian calendar, maybe 30 AD, about halfway through the ministry of our Lord. 1,500 miles away in Rome, the Roman Emperor Tiberius was busy fighting up another coup attempt. The world was going on, and in China and India and other places, they were doing their thing. But here in Galilee was where it was really happening. It is known as the Sermon on the Mount because back in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, it says, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain that was a hillside. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. It is the most famous sermon that Jesus gave. In fact, it is the greatest single sermon by anyone at any one city in history. It covers a wide variety of topics. In a single sentence, if you were trying to capture the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, I think it's a good thesis statement to wrap our heads in. The Sermon on the Mount is how to best live a life that is dedicated to pleasing God and helping mankind. Kind of like the Ten Commandments divided into a time of worshiping God and obeying God and serving mankind. He begins the Sermon on the Mount talking about attitudes. The attitudes are everything. And then Jesus said, be salty. Never lose your salt. Then he said, in, while you're maintaining that salty sense of love for the truth, be the light. Don't just sit there and not give out the light, but be the light. And then he said, let's make sure that we love the law of God. Nothing has changed about the Bible or truth. God never changes. Then he said, I want you to know something. If you are not dealing with your anger, you are going to kill not only your own spirit, but you're going to kill others. Lust and adultery. He weighs in on that. And he said, it destroys families. It destroys nations. He said, your morality matters. 
Then he talks about integrity and justice. And then he said you need to know how to handle different kinds of enemies, people that come at you. And he said you need to be faithful in your giving to the Lord's work. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how that there are six key principles of prayer. That was the Lord's prayer. It's not really something to recite, although nothing wrong with reciting it. It is more a template of how to pray. Begin with just buttering God up, our Father. Understanding that He is a Father to us. That changes everything about prayer. It's not trying to convince God to do something He doesn't want to do. It's just coming to a loving Father. Telling Him, here's what uh, is concerning me that I want you to know about it. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Jesus now pauses for a moment, basically looks at the crowd and says, Now, I want to talk to you about the subject of fasting. Fasting. Now, immediately in their minds, that first century Israeli mind, they had a thought of what fasting is. And even me, beginning to talk about fasting, you have in your mind what fasting might be. I think by the end of this, you're going to say, I get it. It's a whole different thought of what I actually thought fasting was. It is not something that maybe somebody does or some crazy people do. No, it is something that actually not only I can do, but I should do. God's great. I would. So let's read together chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. We'll read it out loud from the beautiful King James version of the Bible. Right, let's read it together. Ready to end. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which in secret and thy Father, which in secret, these in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now I want you to notice verse 16. Moreover, when you fast. We will start by getting the not-so-subtle suggestion that you are going to fast. When. He didn't say if you fast. He said I know you're going to fast. You do need to fast. As a fully committed disciple of our God, you should fast. So when you fast, here is how I would like it to look. I think this is what God wants you to have it to look like. And I think a good question this morning is this. Have you ever been on a spiritual fast? If I were just a sit across the table, we have a cup of coffee together, and I was to ask you the question, have you ever been on a spiritual fast? What would your answer be? Now, fasting actually is mentioned quite often in Scripture. In fact, it is mentioned more than many other Christian doctrines that perhaps you have practiced. For example, the subject of baptism. In baptism, it is a wonderful and important regulation that is a proclamation of our faith. But interestingly enough, baptism is mentioned about 75 times, depending on the tense of the verb. But in fact, fasting is mentioned 77 times. Most people have been baptized. Many people have actually not fasted. On a recent Sunday night, we gave and we're reminded how the Apostle Paul told us that there are seven great spiritual, or there are weapons that we have. We identified seven of them. And so let me give those to you quite quickly because I think it plays into what we're talking about. We identified that, first of all, the Word of God is a great spiritual weapon. We all know that. When Jesus was tempted, the weapon he used was the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted it. The second weapon is prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon against sin, against temptation. Just purely when temptation comes my way, if I start praying for somebody else, it's amazing how my mind just gets diverted and God steps in. Worship. Spending time 
worshiping the Lord more than just singing, although that's a wonderful part of worship. Pastor Luke mentioned giving, but there are so many parts to worship. Just spending time focusing on the Lord. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon. Really, that is, in a sense, the gospel. Witnessing is a powerful tool against the devil. It is amazing how when we begin to witness, the devil leaves us alone. Then our testimony, the book of Revelation says, you overcome him by our testimony. Because the devil can shake maybe your thinking, your intelligence, your planning, your training, but he can never shake what happens in your soul. And when you have a testimony, it's powerful. And then number six, we mentioned that Thanksgiving. When we just spend time praising God, great things happen. Just thanking God. So how could it be? If we just have a gratitude attitude, it's incredible. And then number seven, and this is why I bring this list up, and that is fasting. Fasting is one of the seven great spiritual weapons. And yet, how many of us actually apply ourselves to a spiritual fast? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 17 that there are certain situations that unless you fast, it'll never be handled. Unless you fast, it's not going to, nothing good is going to come. And so we ask ourselves then, how can we learn and what is spiritual fasting? So let's dive into this very brief passage. Three lessons on fasting from our Savior. Number one, first of all, He Himself gives it a commendation. That alone is good enough for me. If Jesus said do it, let's do it. First of all, it was a means and not an end. Fasting is always meant to be a vehicle, not a destination. It is a means and not an end in of itself. Look at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not. Be not. So, he's starting by saying, now, I want to rearrange your thinking here. I don't want you to be like what you've seen. Because what you've seen got some serious issues. For them, they had only seen the fake religionists of the day. Their culture, the Judeo culture, was permeated with the Old Testament scriptures, sometimes known as the Judeo ethic. The United States of America has benefited from this same wonderful ethic. We call it the Judeo Christian ethic. It is sad. It is tragic, in fact, to see that ethic being trashed by the left, especially, I'm sad to say, by this current anti-God administration. The Judeo-Christian ethic is an amazing ethic, and it permeated the early Jewish society, sort of like it permeates our society. That being said, the Bible was kind of a bottom-line context with the way people, with their mindset. So because of that, because Old Testament people often fasted, and because of the nation they often fasted, fasting was something that was something that happened. But unfortunately, it wasn't really like God had intended. Moses, for example, fasted in Scripture in Exodus chapter 34. It says Moses was on the Mount of Sinai for 40 days and he fasted. That's not something we could do, but God in His grace and His mercy and His power gave him some special power. Now, in the doctrinal truth known as the law of first mention, which is the theological law in Scripture, the law of first mention, the first mention in fasting is that passage where Moses fasted. And it gives us good direction. The law of first mention means that whatever is the first mention of a doctrine gives us a pattern for the rest. And so it was meant to seek God. Moses let aside the world so that he could spend time with God. The Hebrew word for fasting is the Hebrew word spelled S-U-M. We would in English say sum. In Hebrew it's called sum. It means to shut. It means to cover. It means to refrain or abstain. Now there are, with that definition then, we get a wider definition than just not eating food. It means to abstain. It means to shut off or to stop from any kind of creature comforts that constitute a legitimate spiritual fast. 
It is sacrificing something I value and that's perfectly good and acceptable to pursue something that God values and maybe higher priority, at least for the moment. Prayer and fasting is setting aside important things to seek the most important. It is reserving my time, my energy, my resources, normally given to a perfectly good activity, so that I can pursue the will of God. Fasting is disconnecting with the world, so I can have a deeper connection with heaven. It is not an end in its own sake. It is a means to an end, to dispose it for prayer. Then notice what Jesus says. He issues a caution. Look at verse 16 again. Be not as the hypocrite. It's sad countenance. Too often they had seen this mostly humanistic, legalistic religion. The fasting had become an end in itself. He said, that's not the way fasting is meant to be. It's not something we do to be spiritual. It is a vehicle to seek God. And unfortunately, the fasting had become just another instance of virtue signal. Hypocritical, self-righteous demonstration of their piety in front of people. Waiting around, letting everybody know they're kind of a super spiritual thing. Jesus said, look, if you're going to get any traction out of your fasting, and by the way, fasting's not easy. So if you're going to do it, let's make sure that it gets done what it's supposed to be done. Then he said, you need to avoid any pious grandstanding in your spiritual life. A good example might be found in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, the godly physician, Dr. Luke, beautifully recorded Jesus' incredible teaching on prayer. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus compared two people that were praying, a Pharisee, a false religion, and an old publican. He said, you know, the funny thing is, he did that publican got a hold of God better than the Pharisee. But notice what the Pharisee said in verse 12. He said, I am not like others. I fast twice in a week. Now, fasting even once in a week is actually not a Bible command, but the traditions in that religion over the years had snowballed. They had what they called the Talmud. The Talmud was a group of rabbinical teaching that they had so taught that it had become codified into an actual spiritual law in their mind. And in the Talmud, the rabbinical teaching, any good, Judaistic person would fast twice a week and he would do it on the second and the fifth day. If they were to have asked the typical religionists of that day, why do you fast on the second day of the week and the fifth day of the week? Why do you fast two days a week? They would say, well, that's because that's when Moses went up to the mountain. That's when he came down. But a closer look at history reveals, frankly, a much more shady and, sadly, a realistic look. And that is, in Jerusalem... It just so happened that there were two market days, the second day of the week and the fifth day of the week. And so they, it was wonderfully convenient that on the second day and the fifth day, they could march into the market where everybody was getting their food and their groceries and all their vegetables, and they could parade around with this crazy-looking get-up on, their religious garb, and looking all sad, so that they could appear to be pious. It was a great photo op for them. They would walk around and they would uh, just, uh, you know, look how, look how spiritual I am. Not long ago, I was driving down the road and I saw a truck ahead of me. And I thought, what is the back of that truck? And it was a big old giant LED sign. It had a rotating little slide there and they were just driving around. And uh, I thought, you know what? Because I was thinking about this verse. That's kind of what these folks were doing. They just were parading around town with a big sign on saying, look how spiritual I am. Look how holy I am. And, of course, they got their jollies out of that. And I don't know what they got out of that. All that but Jesus said, that's not what we're talking about. A combination. It was a means, not an end. Number two, it was commanded. Excuse me, it was not commanded, but it is expected. Moreover, when you fast, it's not a command. He didn't say, you must fast. He said, when you fast, and really you should fast, don't be like this. 
strangely, fasting is never commanded in Scripture. So if you choose not to fast, you're not an unspiritual person. However, you may miss out on some amazing ways to deepen and get a hold of God. Now, there actually was one Old Testament fast, you might say, and it was a national-wide fast, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they would fast from sunup to sundown. But the pattern of Scripture is clear. God's people fast. For example, King David in Psalm chapter 35, I humbled my soul with fasting. An interesting passage there. David said somebody was having a tough time. I think it was his enemy. And he said, I actually fasted for my enemy. And he said, and God returned my prayer to me, meaning I got the answer to my prayer through fasting. Why is fasting then an expectation of God for His children? That is because it is a way to get our minds back on God. It's kind of like pushing a reset button on your uh, all clear, you know, kind of a, a hard restart on your iPhone. It is just it is just refocusing, getting back to where it needs to be. In the Old Testament, Elijah fasted. He fasted for forty days. First Kings chapter nineteen. Daniel fasted. Daniel fasted. For 10 days. He also fasted for 21 days in Daniel's 9 and 10. One commentary I read gave seven reasons for fasting in Scripture. Let me give those to you real quick. Let me kick them off for you. I think it was well done. And so if you have your outline there, you can keep those. But the first reason is for lamentation. When people were grieving over a national sin, protection, praying for God's protection, Humiliation, bringing themselves into a place where they could humble themselves before God. Revelation, needing God to speak to them. Commendation, they were praying for God to bring about an effect on their enemies. Selection, they were selecting, for example, the disciples um, after Jesus uh, was ascended to heaven. And then finally, for direction. You may remember in the New Testament, the book of Acts, Paul often fasted as well as others. In fact, Paul said, fasting is often. I think sometimes that was just meaning I didn't have any food. But the idea of seven different reasons in those times of the deep struggle, when God tugs on our heart, He pulls us closer to Him through fasting. You may remember that wonderful elderly woman that Dr. Luke speaks of in Luke chapter 2 and verse 37. The prophetess Anna. She spoke so convincingly of the coming Messiah. The Bible says she fasted often. In fact, that was her ministry. Anna, this beautiful elderly lady, had a ministry of fasting. Cornelius, a new convert. It's not just for somebody who's someone who's a, a long time in the Lord. Cornelius was a centurion in Acts chapter ten. He got saved. He converted his house into a church there in the coastal city of Caesarea, and the Bible says that he fasted on this particular occasion. Four days he was fasting until his hour. So, by the way, I should always point out, and I think this is a good passage to point out that, that fasting always is connected with prayer. You'll never find a part in Scripture where fasting didn't include prayer. That's because fasting is not the end in itself. It is a vehicle for prayer. Fasting is not a duty of its own sake. It is a vehicle to accomplish a better prayer life. Now, I've been on a lot of vehicles, a lot of means of transportation in my life. From my little Stingray bicycle with its little banana seat, my 10-speed uh, uh, Peugeot little bike that I would run back and forth places, my parents used to have American Motors. I don't know why they wanted American Motors car. They didn't even make them anymore, but they had a and bought a brand new green Hornet. I drove a green Hornet as a teenager. Then we had a bright little Chevrolet Monza. Of course, uh, a little Volkswagen Rabbit. And now, a car I still drive, a daily driver. It was my 1958 uh, ragtop Volkswagen there. I've been on trams and trains and trucks and tractors. Jeepneys and boats and planes. Oh, your wife and I even were doing a hot boat. And then, in fact, in Thailand, we were even on an elephant. 
But in every case, that was only a transportation. It was a means to an end. It was not the end in itself. It was not the destination. It was the transportation. And that's exactly what that's All right. A commendation. And then, number two, a caution. A caution. Jesus said, look, I think I need to clarify some things because if not, if not I think you're going to go off like crazy humans often do. You're going to go off like these Pharisees do. Look at verse 16. Don't be as the hypocrites. Don't be as the hypocrites. The Greek word hypocrites. Hypocrites, it means an actor. It means one who plays on a stage. All the world's a stage, William Shakespeare said, in his comedy, As You Like It. All the men and women nearly play. They all have their exits and entrance. And so since the world's all a stage, we need to be careful about what we do on that stage. Jesus said, don't get on your stage and just portray that you're some kind of a super saint by disfiguring your face. Let me give you five things to avoid on your stage of life. Let me give them to you very quickly. Five isms to avoid in the practice of fasting. Number one, populism. Watch out for the latest fads. Bandwagon believers are everywhere. The latest hype. Hitching your trailer to the most recent evangelical stuff. Careful, folks. Fasting is not a some little book that you read and then, you know, you do that for a while and go on to the next hype. No. I'm not saying to be suspicious. Just be discerning. In fact, the great Apostle Paul had this very same concept in his puff-tone Corinthian church. Look at 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 8. Always remember, meat or what you eat or what you don't eat commendeth us not to God. It really doesn't make any difference to God what you eat. Neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. God said, just be careful about assigning a spiritual spirituality to what we eat. It's not that that fasting is not about what we eat or don't eat. It's about prayer. Fasting and prayer is what makes it efficacious. Be careful. And I will say that there are many religious groups out there that still do that. In fact, the Apostle Paul alerted his preacher boy Timothy in chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, he said, Now the Spirit speaketh that in the latter times there'll be a departing from the faith. Notice one of the characteristics of that, verse 3. Forbidding to marry... Hmm, interesting groups out there that say their clergy, for example, can't marry. And commanding to abstain from meats. How strange, Paul said to Timothy. God commanded all that food to be accepted and received with thanksgiving. <laughs> he said, when you know the truth, that's the way it is. You don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Folks, this concept about fasting can get super strange in what people eat. Just a few months ago, you may have read about it, it was in Colorado, there was a cult called the Love Has One. This particular cult has thousands of followers. There's a leader by the name of Amy Carlson, or was. It says she died of natural causes. Alcohol, opium, anorexia, and as part of her religion, I think we have a picture there, and as part of her religion, they ate colloidal cancer, if I'm saying that right. In fact, the coroner said, and that lady in the middle, I think, is Amy, it was a cult that fasted and all about different food, and she ingested this silver so much, the coroner said that her blood was almost like sludge, just chock full of silver. Now, folks, populism is a killer good and godly fasting. Then there is ritualism. Folks, I love routine. Schedules are both my best friend and my dictator. Healthy traditions, I think, are wonderful. They're like glue that binds families and churches together. Good traditions are godly. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions. Not just the biblical things, but the traditions which we've established which you've been taught. 
by our word, by our epistle. But, Paul made very clear, while it's a tradition that you can hold to, never equate it equal with Scripture. Because then, it just becomes a performance art. Never allow my fasting, when I do it, what I do, the day I do it, the length I do it, to become like somehow it's a scriptural verse. No, it's just something that we may want to do. It's a tradition, and we can hold to it. Nothing wrong with that. But never make it equal to scripture, because if we do, then it becomes idolatry, populism, ritualism, asceticism, turning ourselves into some kind of a religious recluse, being a spiritual greenie, sitting around in a robe, eating bird seed. Oh, Jesus wasn't like that. He was a God that everybody liked to be with. I'm convinced. Children love to be around Jesus. I don't think we have to be some kind of a weirdo out there, you know, uh, living in the mountains somewhere, somehow to be spiritual. Jesus was not a pale, sanctimonious hermit moved to northern Idaho so that he could be away all from all the sin in the world? Absolutely not. He was right in the midst of the fray, folks. And I just want to remind all of us, life is a mission field, brothers and sisters. It is not a cruise ship. God's not put us here so that we can go live in the best place that we ever want to live. God has called us to be in a mission field. If it's not especially a place you want to be, it might be just the perfect place that God wants you. Populism, populism, ritualism, asceticism, and then egotism. Another ism that you need to avoid. Beware of anything that we do just to make an impression on somebody else. Notice what it says in that verse there, verse 16, sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men's back. Merely keeping up appearances. There was a young firebrand in the Old Testament by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah was a young prophet, wise beyond his years. And in chapter 7, he prophesied to the people of Judah. He told them, when you come back to Jerusalem, you're going to be careful of something. Be careful about doing all your religious things just to be seen. Look what he says in verse 5 of Zechariah. Chapter 7, speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Were you fasting to God or who? Speaking for God here. Verse 6. And when you did eat and did drink, did you not eat for yourselves? yourself? Drink for yourself? He said, really, your fasting did nothing to help your with God. You just did it for whatever good you got out of it for yourself. Now, it's not wrong to let people know we fast. It's not wrong to let people know we're praying for them. But if we're just doing that so that we can show off, then God said no. He said, don't worry about what people think, because that is just egotism. And then finally this morning, extremism. How long we fast is not nearly as important as how well we fast. Yes, David fasted ten days. That's a long time. David also, or excuse me, Daniel also fasted 21 days. That's amazing. Jesus, Elijah, Moses all fasted 40 days. Those were supernatural fasts. Most biblical fasts were from sunup to sundown. What is a normal fast? A normal fast is when someone goes without food. They drink water, maybe a juice a little bit, but typically just drink water. But I would say this and on a practical side. If you have some sort of a medical condition, diabetes, hypoglycemic, you're on medication, or you're pregnant, or you're older, I would suggest that you need to uh, think through that, maybe even talk to your doctor first. Take it one step at a time when you begin to fast, especially food fast. It really changes your system. It's just like uh, if you were going to go work out at the gym, you wouldn't on the very first day go there and work out for four hours on a Stairmaster, would you? Because the next day they'd be uh, taking you out, of, hauling you out on an ambulance someplace. Because it's just, you've got to take it easy. So start a little bit easier. A caution. A combination, a caution, and then number three, a course. Now Jesus in verses 17 and 18 lays it out for us very clearly. He said, all right. He said, when you fast, anoint your head. What? 
You said, how do I anoint my head when I fast? Or, am I supposed to go down to the church and have the pastor and deacons anoint me with oil? Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing, and we'll be happy to do it if that's what you'd like to do. And I do think that there's probably a sense that they're asking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit here. But I think it's more a very practical anointing. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, it talks about it. Also, in Matthew chapter 26, Luke chapter 7 also, many times the Jewish people used oil to refresh themselves. Kind of like a clean themselves up with it. Olive oil. They very hot, dry, dusty, and they would use olive oil, put it on their skin. With the additional benefit, they always smelled like a pita bucket, but uh, they, would, uh, they would have that uh, olive oil there, you know, and they would put it on them. Now, in addition to that, sometimes, when especially if they had a little more money, they would have these oils that they would combine together, often very fragrant. And since they didn't have uh, deodorant like we have, although I'm sure they had some kind, that was probably a real blessing for sure. But the thing I want to point out is that God expects and anticipates that we should take care of ourselves, especially when we fast. He said, I want you to know something. You're not more spiritual when you look bad or you look plain. I've heard misinformed people say, God doesn't care what we look like. And yet we see here God is, in fact, concerned about how we appear. He even says that. He said, don't appear this way. I want you to appear this way. Why does God care about our appearance? Because it reflects on Him. Now, to be sure, we're not a better person because we have more expensive clothing, more designer clothing, or nicer clothing, or a better hairdo, or whatever. That's not what he's saying. And the religionists of the day were taking this to an absolute extreme. They were not bathing. They were wearing old clothes. They'd even take ashes and throw it on them. So that when they walked through the marketplace, people would go, oh, wow, there is a giant. They are just so amazing. And so, and they would mess up their hair and smell like an old camel or something. People would smell them come and they would say, oh, there's one of those religious crazy guys. Jesus said, you know what actually what I would prefer? He said, here's the way I think you ought to do it. I think when you fast, you ought to be the exact opposite. He said, I think you should anoint yourself. And he even says, wash your face. <laughs> you know, clean up. Look good. Look your best. Now, why is all that? Because you are advertising for me. Because I want everybody to know that when you spend time with me, you are, it's better for you. You feel better. You look better. You're happier. It's better for your family. It's just a, it's just a win-win-win. So, look your best. Now, I would just say on that, I don't think God's saying that in order to be spiritual, you know, we need to look like we walked out of a GQ magazine or a Vogue cover, you know, that's not what God is saying. And to be sure, there's no specific religious dress code ever listed in Scripture. So, just so we're clear on all that. However, I would say this. I don't think we have to adopt the tasteless grunge look of the world in order to be somehow spiritual before God. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul said, you know, you need to really... Um, clear this with your husband or wife before you fast. You need to kind of get their blessing. Same thing with your parents. Because we're talking about a very practical. Not eating, the way you look, smell, and what you do, and so forth. It's quite a change. So he said, make sure that you clear that up. Now, if you want to fast, if now you're beginning to feel like, hey, I might be able to do this. If it's a way to connect with God, if it's a way to get some answers to prayer, I've never and some breakthroughs, if it's a way to get some healing, if it's a way to get some things done that I've never seen done before, then I want to try this. Well, then let me give you 12 different ways to fast. Because this, I think, will relieve some of the you know mystique about it, and it will help you, and maybe the experience I've had would help you as well. If one way to fast is one meal a day. You see, it's not about giving up the food. Although, Apostle Paul said, buffet your bodies, you know, there's something wrong with a little bit of that. But what really it's about is the 
the time you would normally spend in buying, the preparing, the cleaning, etc., you're giving that hour, two hours, three hours to the Lord. You're just setting aside and you're praying. That's why a woman, for example, if she's the one who makes most of the food in the family, you know, that she needs to be careful that she said, Honey, I'd like to fast, but <laughs> he comes home from work and he is not going to really care that you're fasting. He's hungry. And so, uh, but you spend that time reading the Bible. Avoid food, secondly, avoid food from sun up to sundown. This actually was the most common fast in the Bible. Of course, if you live in Alaska at winter, this would be a great fast. <laughs> you fast for 30 minutes, you know, in the morning. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, just spending the time with the Lord. Another way to do it is to fast with sugars and sweets. I know it sounds sacrilegious, but you may have to put down the pie and drop your donut. Turn your cravings into a sweet desire for the Lord. Just a way to say, Lord, you're more important to me than my sweet A Daniel fast, based on Daniel chapter 1, giving up meats or dessert, snacks. Basically, as you may remember Daniel chapter 1, the King James says he ate pulp, which was maybe probably like a vegetable broth, maybe a vegetable, almost like a puree or something, but vegetables and grains. Liquids only is another way to do that. Usually this means just water, and I would not recommend going without water very long, but it's not very healthy. Some people go on absolute fast where they don't have food or water. I, I don't think really especially what the Lord wants, but if God calls you to do it, then that's between you and Him. But a liquid fast usually is water or juices. That could include broth. You give up sleep. We see Jesus practicing this kind of fasting often. The Apostle Paul did this. And in tonight's message, we'll see how that Samuel prayed for an entire night before he had to come and give the declaration of the Lord to Saul. For me, I will say this has been the most effective fast. I find get, I get more answers to prayer when I give up my sleep than any other way. And I'll just be uh, very uh, plain with you here this morning. I am not a very good food fast. I just, uh, I spend all my time thinking about food. I don't think about the Lord. And now some people, it's, uh, they can, and it's just very wonderful for them. But I just, to be honest with you, it doesn't uh, work for me. But what does work is this time of the night, middle of the night or whatever, and just setting the time aside, all distractions, there's just something beautiful to me about seeking the Lord about that time. I don't even struggle if I have to take a 15-minute nap during that time. I'm not going to feel like I'm unspiritual at the same time. There's another way to do it, and that is to give up screens. Television, streaming, videos. In fact, some Christians, I know as a family we used to have this rule, and that is that there's no non-Christian programming from Saturday night sundown until Sunday night sundown of any type, neither music, whatever. But uh, give up all screens. You know, it's amazing what happened. That is a very effective fast. Surprised how much time you can spend on streaming, Netflix. Read a good Christian book, a biography, or read the Bible. Give up certain recreational activities. Give up your bowling league, or golfing, or fishing, or movies, or for a season of time just to seek the Lord. There have been seasons when I would give up all of those kind of things just to seek God. Give up pleasure reading. Anything aside from that which is necessary for your work, or course, the Word of God, but um, turn to Scripture and pray the Scripture. In fact, that's one of the best ways to pray is that, is to pray the Scripture. Just take the Scripture, turn the verse into a prayer request, and then listening to all but Christian worship music. And for many people, that would be a very helpful thing, because some of that stuff, in fact, a lot of that stuff, especially any of that rap, most of the rock and country stuff, it's just fire. You almost can't listen to it anymore. So I just encourage you to uh, listen to nothing but Christian worship music, maybe for a bit, maybe for the rest of your life. I don't know. And then uh, that would be the worst thing. Avoid social media. I mean, it is incredible how much time to be spent just looking at this and that and posting unposting, whatever else people do. 
Now, I'm not against that. I think it's a wonderful thing, especially for us. Updating the family thing was nice to get to know. But I will say this. I think we ought to be more concerned about our face time with God than we are with other people. And uh, get on our face before the Lord. And then to use our smartphone or our computer for only for work or necessary tasks. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to fast? What would you like our family to do? And you as a father or mother might challenge your family. Oh, that I'd make it an absolute rule. Ask them if they might want to do this. But there, I think, and by the way, this is just 12. There are, I'm sure, more ways to do this. But I would say this, folks. My heart is leaping with possibility of what would happen if our people would practice fasting on a regular basis. Do something. Give up something for Jesus so that I could spend time seeking His face. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, wrote several important addresses. He steered our nation through one of the most critical seasons, the Civil War. An amazing, godly man as well as a great leader. But on April 30th of 1863, he did a very unusual thing. He proclaimed, you can imagine, he proclaimed a national day of fasting. And here is what he said about that day. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling Maybe we would do well to proclaim our own day of fasting on a certain day and seek God as we've never done before. Prayer and fasting. It is giving up something to get in. It's about an eye. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.